listening to Vet Candy. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Vet Candy IRL. And I'm your host, Shannon Gregoire. So today we have a fantastic veterinarian joining us today from sunny Florida. And she is quite an entrepreneur. And I wanted to have her on the show to talk to you guys about different pivots that you can do in veterinary medicine and how you can get inspired from clinical practice to turn anything into a passion or a career. So please welcome with me, Dr. Danny McBetty. Hi, Shannon. How's it going? <laughs> Hi, good. How are you? Good. Very good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about like your journey into vet med, where you went to school, you know, how you kind of got started. Yeah, I think I think I had a pretty normal journey up until I got into vet school. You know, I, I always want to be veterinarian. I remember being in sixth grade and another friend saying, I want to be a vet. And I'm like, oh, me too. I want to be a vet. So from there on, it was just veterinarian. And I um, ended my undergrad career at the University of Florida, even though I did actually a year and a half at Colorado State. So I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. And yeah, I, th- I thought I wanted to go to vet school out there. But then there was one animal science course where they had us chipping ice out of water buckets at like five o'clock in the morning. And I thought, that's not a thing you do in Florida. You, you never have to worry about that in Florida. I was very, very cold at that point. So I decided to go back to Florida. So I ended my undergrad at UF. and. I did an undergrad in uh, microbiology because it sounded really smart. And I figured that was going to help with me between other people that maybe just did animal science or something like that. So I, I, and it, you know, looking back on it, it was really helpful because when I got into school, I had already had immunology, virology, microbiology. Like I, already, I had already had a lot of those classes. So in vet school, it made it a little bit easier, even though when I got into vet school, I realized how much I needed that help. I ended up my freshman year, or the last exam freshman year was nutrition and I failed it. So I failed nutrition. So long story short, I had to repeat my freshman year of vet school. And so whenever I talk to vet students, I always say, look, I spent longer in vet school than most of you guys have spent in vet school. So you know, I get a little bit of credit for that. <laughs> so when I graduated, you know, I think that's important though, because when I got into my um, third and fourth year in, in veterinary school, we do clinical rotations like, like you're doing right now. And I found myself not feeling very smart because I was literally the dumbest kid in class. You know, I was the one that had to fail and then repeat. So I'm like, there's not even a a secret anymore. Like I'm the dumbest kid in class. I always felt like I wasn't as smart as everybody else, just academically. But where I felt I shined was in the personal relationships with the, the clients that you meet. I found that to be imperative to actual clinical practice, crazy enough, because if you look at veterinary medicine, there, there is a difference between our client and our patient. And, you know, in human medicine, your client is your patient, but in veterinary medicine, they're different. So you have to have this interpersonal relationship with the client in order to, I use this word loosely, convince them that the treatment plan that you have come up with is the right one, right? So somebody could have 15 letters after their name, but the client just doesn't trust them for whatever reason. Maybe they just don't like the way that they're talking or they're talking down to you or whatever. And so then they don't, they don't trust the treatment plan that you've come up with. So I found that, that the, that the relationship and the rapport and the trust that I was able to build with a client again, and I was, I focused on that because I knew I wasn't smart. (laughs) That was the thing that allowed me to gain an edge. And where I really found that that shined was in conversations with people surrounding end of life care. 
you can go in to an exam room and you can have a conversation with people. And, you know, a lot of times they're thinking, are you serious? You're going to, you're going to try to talk me into a thousand dollars worth of workup before I even get to treatment. Like what about treatment? What is, what is my pet going to walk out of here with? And that's very evident in emergency care. And that when I graduated University of Florida, I did emergency care. I remember I graduated in 2009. So the economy was collapsing. There weren't a lot of jobs. And in fact, I had to find, I did not get even my first job, which is like crazy right now. You know, I think right now there are 18 open jobs for every one doctor that's available to fill them. It's absolutely, and it was flipped when I was there. I think there was like four or five doctors looking for every one job that was available. So, you know, I, I, but I did emergency medicine. I loved it. I'm a bit of a adrenaline junkie, I guess you could say. So I like that. Like, I like it too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was so much fun. And I loved walking into an exam room and the client being very, very upset because I knew that I could, I could bring them down. And I I really, I really like that. So, you know, and sometimes you're in a, in a conversation in, in emergency medicine where look, we're either looking at a $2,000 surgery or we're looking at euthanasia and the only wrong answer is nothing right? The only wrong answer is neither of those. So you have to find that balance for the family of, you know, what, what we're going to do and get there in a way that, that leaves them without any guilt around the decision too. So to bring it all back down, I was three months out of school, emergency medicine, and the economy was collapsing. And, you know, I wasn't making enough money that I needed to make to pay my, my student loans as aggressively as I wanted to. And so I decided to start Lab of Love Veterinary Hospice. And there was a client that came in with her little dog wrapped up in a blanket. And she asked me, she's like, can you please leave him on my lap? Don't take him off my lap. So that's where I got like the word lap of love. Cause I just wanted them. I wanted somebody that to read the name, to think about like their pet being on their lap. That's the vision, you know, the, Hey, you have personal, personal experience with this end of life care. I thought I was going to be doing mostly hospice care. And then every once in a while euthanasia, but that is, completely flips. It's mostly in euthanasia because that's what clients want. We can talk about that later if you want, but you know, I started lap of love. I was three months out of school, three months. It was supposed to be a part-time job. I was never supposed to get this big and long story short, you know, people kept asking for it and they kept wanting more and more and more. And then somebody tells their neighbor and then their neighbor tells another person and it just kept growing. And about a year after I'd started, I was now getting asked to fill more ER roles. And I'm like, I, I can't, I make, I make more money and I am happier doing this than I was doing the ER. And then I started getting calls from veterinarians across the United States saying, can I do what you're doing? Can you help me? How do you do this? And so I figured that I think this might be scalable. Like this is something other people could join. I already have the business cards and the logo and the website. I already have all this. So I called my good friend, Dr. Mary Gardner from vet school software before veterinary medicine. And I said, I need a software. I need a software to run this business. And oh, by the way, you should join me because there's a lot of other doctors wanting to do this and we can scale it. That was in 2010. And cause I graduated in 09. So by, so by 10, middle of 11, her and I had partnered and started working on the software. And then by 12, 2012, we had our first doctor. And now here it is 10 years later. And we have over 225 doctors. I think we're pushing 250 um, doctors around the country with a team of almost 500 people company-wide. So never thought it was going to, never intended it to to grow. (laughs) We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. 
Hey, this is Dr. Julio Alonso, and I'm here to tell you about my new show on Pet Candy TV. You can learn all about how to take the best care of your pets. Stream at My Pet Candy 24-7 on YouTube, iTunes, and most other video platforms. Yeah, I can only imagine like being like a, a new grad vet and then you're trying to figure out how to be a doctor and then starting a business at the same time must have been crazy busy. Oh, it was, it was just one thing after another. Like, you don't, you don't always know what the next step is. And, and every, people look at me and they think, and that's even when I go and talk to the veterinary schools, I don't tell them that I failed the class until halfway through my talk because they've already built up this vision of me of like, wow, she's amazing. And she knew medicine and she knew this and business and da, da, da. I'm like, I didn't know anything. I knew nothing. I learned about pro formas and P and L's and, you know, KPIs and all this other acronyms that people throw out at you. I learned that from YouTube, literally from YouTube. You can't learn medicine on YouTube, but you can learn business on YouTube. <laughs> so, you know, like that's just how you learn. So it's not this, like, I, I didn't graduate with this knowledge. I didn't, I didn't even get to this point with this, with that knowledge. I just learned it every step of the way. And I think that that's a distinguishing personality factor from people that, have the ability to grow, to set up a business and grow it versus those that have no desire to do it. Everyone has the mm -hmm. ability, but do you have the desire and the desire to come up with a problem? A problem presents itself. And for you to say like, I don't know, or let me figure it out. And it was just this constant, constant thing of let me figure it out. And Mary and I are like, we are, we're like sisters. We're two peas in a pod. And I think rarely you find a business partnership like that but her and I have known each other for so long and can disagree and can even rarely do we disagree. Like we both, we know each other's strengths and weaknesses. And at every step of the way, her and I both are the type that like, I don't know, I'll figure it out. That is the number one thing that has, that, that I think has distinguished what me and my team have been able to do versus people that just simply don't have a desire to do it. Yeah, absolutely. When you, you have that common goal of just, you know, we don't really know where this is going to go. We don't really know how it's going to happen, but we'll figure it out. We'll just figure it out together. And we're going to make the best decision. You know, I don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to make a decision that supports the team that we have and it supports the clients that we serve and obviously the pets that we all started in this profession to begin with. You know, and if you keep that focus, nothing is ever going to be wrong in veterinary. And we're blessed to have that in veterinary medicine because in veterinary medicine, we have this very, very pure mission we all do which is animal it's not this like okay we want to sell widgets right and we have to figure out like do the right thing selling widgets no we're like we're animals like period end of story we're, we're just helping animals and then we have people that have been attracted to this profession because they also feel that same way so it's this shared mentality and it's this shared vision and as long as we keep it about the animals and not about the money then everything has always turned out well us. The business has always grown and we do the right thing. You go into a client's home and maybe, maybe euthanasia isn't the right thing in that moment, which is very rare. Like that rarely happens. But when it does, you don't charge them. You just say no problem. Or if you get to their home and like, they're not ready that day, like, Hey doc, he's having a really good day. I don't want to euthanize today. No problem. I'm not going to charge you or cancellation. Hey, I had an appointment at 2 PM today, but you know, he, we woke up and he's doing really good today. And I don't want it to be today. No problem. No cancellation fee. Cause when you're ready, I want you to come back to us and to have a good gut feeling about who we are and how we run the company. And that inspiration for decision-making has never been wrong. Never. Right. Yeah. Cause it always comes from a good place. And what about, you know, you were talking a little bit about it where you said that like the communication part is so important. And I think that's something that, I mean, I've been really advocating for 
on the podcast as well is to get veterinary students the exposure that they need to really converse with their clients because, you know, veterinary medicine is only half medicine, right? Because if you can't talk to your clients, if you can't, you know, bring them on that page and get them to realize, you know, the brevity of a situation or what is going on, then they're not going to want your medicine. So you can't help that pet if you can't, you know, connect with your, with your client for the benefit of their animal. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And, and when I, when I started Lap of Love and when I was, when I found myself obviously entrenched in emergency medicine, I was curious why I was doing well, whereas other doctors may not do well, which is with the relationship. So I actually started reading a lot of body language books <laughs> and it's fascinating. Like it is, there are studied things that we do and that we don't do that build rapport with people or break down that rapport. And I actually went and got certified quote unquote, you know, to teach body language. And because I wanted to take that back to the profession and more so I was just really interested in it. So I just really, I thought it was fascinating. And there are very specific things, you know, how you sit, how your feet are, how your arms are, how your hands are, you know, that really help you or don't help you gain that rapport with, with people. So it, it really is imperative, you know, and, and I think that there's only so far as, as humans that we're going to be able to, to learn. Sometimes doctors will want to join us um, or they join, they do join us and we'll get, this is super rare. This like ne- never happens, but it's happened maybe multiple times out of like 500 doctors, right? Where like somebody just has consistent complaints and the complaint, if it happens a couple of times and depending on what the complaint is, then we go back and we say, okay, this is fixable. And sometimes it's just not fixable. Sometimes you have people that just rub other people the wrong way and they're good hearted people. They're kind, they're loving. Like there was this one doctor that worked with me and she was super kind, super loving, very, very gentle. I knew, I knew her personally, but she did not express that. Well, she appeared. So the person on the other end of the receiving of, of her communication in, in a, in a client patient relate in a doctor patient relationship, they felt that she was cold and quiet. And then sometimes when somebody thinks you're cold, they think that you're trying to rush them. So there were a handful of times and I, and I, and I, I lasted a long time with her because I knew her and I'm like, surely she'll figure this out. And, you know, it just took her a really long time to understand that. And she ended up, you know, exiting and not working with us, but it was a mutual thing because I'm like, clients just don't see that from you. You're not, you are compassionate. You are a loving person. You're not expressing that well. So it's not necessarily that we don't, you know, everybody gets to this place with the right intentions. It's you have to learn to express what you're feeling in a way that's supportive of people. That is an, it's it's an art form. It really is. Yeah, it really is. Like, and you have to know how to do it in a way that's not walking over somebody else's emotions and you share with them who you are and you share personal experiences without them feeling like you are talking over their story. Like you're moving the spotlight from them onto you. There's a lot of finesse in that. There is. <laughs> it is. You can teach people a couple of degrees of shift, but there are some people that are just never going to understand it. And those people might be better doing pathology, right? Or something else, like where you're in a room and like you don't talk to anybody. So, right. Like something a little bit, a little less client facing. Yeah. Just not, not as much client client facing. Exactly. But I think those people, you typically self-elect out, you know, because you might want to do that, but maybe you're not good at it. And then you 
don't end up getting as much feedback from people and you're not getting fulfilled from it. Therefore you end up selecting out. It's this weird part of veterinary medicine that I don't think we think about going into it. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even, you know, the human doctor appointments that I've gone to, I have loved some doctors because of their bedside manner. And then other ones, I'm like, I will never go back to them again because it feels like I'm talking to a wall. And it's the same thing with veterinarians when people go in to see you for their pets. And the veterinarian might just have a bad day. That doctor might've just had a bad day or got really bad personal news right before they walked into the exam room. And they might just be really, really nice people. They just don't know how to handle the conversation. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hey, this is Dr. Quincy Hawley, and I'm here to tell you about a new show. It's Vet Candy Rounds with the Hawleys. That's right, Dr. Tierra, the love of my life, and I have teamed up to bring you the most fascinating cases in the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or a podcast platform of your choice, only on Vet Candy Radio. So it is weird. You know, there's, I was on the, the academic admissions committee for University of Florida for four years, and it's something that I wish we could do you know, if you had a magic wand, what would you change? I wish we could select for people that get into veterinary medicine that are extremely well-rounded. And it's not just about the academics. It's about how well-rounded you are in your communication, your interpersonal relationships, because that's how you advance veterinary medicine. You don't advance veterinary medicine by having people that work really, really well in front of a textbook, right? They can regurgitate test questions. And even the people in my class that have, that have done things that I believe advance, start businesses, start companies, be involved in things that, that advance the progress of medicine have not been at the top of the class. In fact, they were specifically at the bottom of the class. That's not a one size fit all by any means, but if there was a way for us to somehow capture that, you know, I, and I don't know what that is, but I, I feel like that, that would be very meaningful for, for veterinary medicine for us to figure that out. Yeah, absolutely. Figuring out a way to like judge someone's ability to communicate not only verbally, but non-verbally with clients in some sort of situation that they show the attributes that you would want in like a bedside manner for a doctor. Yep. So I don't know where that, that that's going to take our profession, you know, but, but it's, uh, I, I think as we grow, obviously, and as society grows, we'll learn how to measure those things early on. And we'll be able to, to find people. And even if it's like, okay, we 30% of the class is going to be these non-academic, but well-rounded people. 30% are going to be extremely academic people that are going to push research, right? And then in the middle will be a mixture. I don't know what it's going to be, but but I think that it's, at some point, the colleges are going to have to figure that out. Yeah. And I think communication could be a part of burnout too. You know, when people like communication issues or they get you know, yell that because of miscommunication or, you know, maybe they're not connecting with their clients very well. And then people get frustrated and angry. I think that definitely is a contributing factor to a lot of veterinarians. Trying to figure out a way to lessen burnout is always good. So anything we can do to help our profession kind of figure out how that works for them is great. I have this love-hate relationship with that word. (laughs) 
because you see on Facebook and you see on social media and all this stuff that people, veterinarians will get all riled up about the fact that somebody from high school reaches out and asks for free veterinary advice. And a hundred percent get that because I get, I get that as well. But the difference is it doesn't tag me. It does not make me upset. If somebody asks me for advice that let's just assume it's somebody that I haven't talked to in many, many years, it's a high school person or whatever. And if they ask me for advice, it does not anger me. There's no part of that that makes me upset or like, you're not valuing my time. You should know better. Yada, yada. That really does not upset me. I have two ways that I can answer, not answer, literally not answer. So just because somebody knocks on my door, I doesn't mean I have to answer Just because somebody calls me, doesn't mean I have to answer Just because somebody emails, texts me, doesn't mean I have to answer. And I don't have the right to get upset over somebody calling, email me or texting me that, you know, like I, all they, all they're saying is like, Hey, do you have time to talk? The answer might be no. I've got four kids and a business. Like I've got my priorities in life and my priorities in life do not always mean calling or texting or emailing people back. It just sucks sometimes, right? Cause I don't get back to people really quickly, but you know, that's just what it is. So I don't have the right to get upset about that to, in, in, in my world, or I can email, write them back, message them back, whatever, and say, Oh my gosh, so good to hear from you. I'm really sorry to hear about your dog that that's very frustrating that they're having an ear infection. The best thing to do is take them to the veterinarian. Cause it could be a couple things. It could be mites. I'm just rattling things off. It could be that, whatever. And that's not something that I can, I can say over the phone, but you know, Hey, I, I wish you the best of luck. Goodbye. Like that's it. I do not have to get upset about that. And the problem is people use that or they use the calls and the emails and all these things that people want from us. And they, then they use that as an excuse to get burned out. And I wanted to, you know, tell everybody like, you're not burned out. All right. You are stressed and overworked and you don't know how to compartmentalize. Yeah. And I even hate the word boundaries, to be honest, like boundaries are for cattle. It's just, you just say rules, just rules and your priorities in life. And to me, like, that's how it is. is my, my priority is my kids and my family. That's number one. Number two is my business and everything that goes along with that. And number three is that everyone else, like from the outside, right? If my kids need something, if my, if my 13 year old texts me right now, I would say, Shannon, hang on a second. Let me look, let me look, what, what do you say? Right. And do I need to answer that right now? Or can it wait? Like, you know, till, till obviously we're done, but like kids know that. And they know that, Hey, if you ask me like, what are we having for dinner tonight? That's not a priority. I'm not going to answer right now, but if saying, mom, I'm sick, I'm at school. Hang on, babe. I'll call you right back when I'm done with this call. You know? And like, they, they know that they know that I'm there. My husband, the same, the same way. And then, and then is the business and then everything else. So I don't, again, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get worked up over things that I just can't handle. If my kids are all about texting me at the same time, then we get to set rules. Hey guys, listen, here's when mom's going to answer. And here's when I can't, I think that this is burnout just kind of gets taken to a place. That's like, that's a little bit inappropriate. And we have to like step back and say, okay, well, you know, look, burnout's coming from the fact that I have 15 minute appointments. Uh, and I'm expected to see 30 appointments in one day. That is not sustainable. It's not possible. If your boss is looking at you and saying like, I expect you to do X, Y, Z, you say, I can't, I just, I can't do that. Now you can't say I can't. And at the same time say, Hey, I expect to be paid $175,000 a year. <laughs> you know, you can't like have that conversation because they're going to go back to you and say, I can't afford to pay you that because you're not generating enough revenue to do that. So there's these expectations that, that we all have. Everyone wants to work less, make more. Everyone wants that. 
veterinarians are in a good a good seat right now because there's a high client demand and low uh, supply of veterinarians. So that's all going to even out over the years. Prices are going to go up. Veterinarians are going to demand more and you know, just what they make, which is great. I love that. As a veterinarian, I think that our starting salary should be higher than what it is. And that also comes with charging clients a little bit more. So all those things are going to even out over the years. But the, the, the point is that you have to have these conversations with the people that are in it, that are maybe telling you unsustainable things. Also looking at the fact like, okay, if four appointments every hour is unsustainable, what is sustainable? Well, one appointment an hour is sustainable. Okay, well, that's not going to sustain the business. So you know, you've got to figure out how to make your medical records a little bit easier to do. I don't know what it is, you know, but my point is like you have to continue to maneuver and find these balances that work, but also understand that like, you know, people are going to want things about from you that you're not going to be able to deliver and you have to be willing to give up something in order to get that. So for example, you know, my kids are priority. Picking my kids up from school is a priority for me. So I'm willing to give up money in order to have that. Having somebody clean my house every other week is like really important to me. I would live in a trailer, you know, to make sure that I have somebody clean it because I don't want to clean my house. When I come home, I want to spend that time with my kids and I don't want to spend that time cleaning my house. So I will give up things in order to make that happen. So that's what I think is the bigger question. It's not, to me, it's not boundaries. It's just priorities and it's not burnout. You're just not happy. You're just not doing a good job setting rules in your life with people around you. We'll be right back with more vet candy. Hi, this is Dr. Jessica Turner. And I want to tell you about my new show, Living Well with Dr. Jessica. We talk about life, love, and living your healthiest life. Check it out on Vet Candy Radio or a podcast platform of your choice. So I love it also when people are like 30 years old and they're burned out. I just graduated vet school. I'm so burned out. You're not burned out. You're broke. Okay. You're broke. You're completely broke. You are just tired, which is understandable. And you're tired because you have the pedal to the metal for 10 years of your life, getting through college and vet school. And that's understandable, but burnout don't like, don't peak when you're 30, right? Like don't, don't peak in your life when you're 30 years old, you have got, you've got a whole, a whole big career ahead of you that you promised everyone else in your life that you were going to go. Now you got to go help animals. You just spent 10 years of your life learning how to help animals, go help them, go out there and go help them. And then figure out what those rules and, and those priorities are in, in your life so that you can, you know, have a, have a balanced life. Balance is so important. I think a lot of people get upset because they don't know how to do it. And that's where all this frustration comes from. So you said you had, what do you call it? Two groups of kids? Two litters. I've got two litters. Two litters. Yes. <laughs> like, how did you balance like your two litters of children being like a, were you a clinical veterinarian when you had the first litter? <laughs> Um, and lap of love and all of that stuff together. Yeah. So let me see. I had my first baby in vet school on purpose <laughs> and it was between junior and senior year. So at the university of Florida, we have the summer off between junior and senior year. And so we had three months off. So I, I planned it, literally planned it. I'm like, I have to get pregnant this time so that I'll have June. So exactly nine months later, it'll be June. <laughs> and I knew it was a risk. And remember I'd already gotten held back a year. So I knew that if I had a really bad pregnancy, there was a risk of me getting put on 
but uh, you know, bed rest and that type of thing. So I knew it was a risk, but I, I did it anyway. The reason why I did that is because I want, when I got out of vet school, I wanted to work and I didn't want to get out of vet school and have a first job. And then me telling my boss, like, Hey, sorry, I'm going to get, you know, I'm, I'm pregnant or I'm going to get pregnant soon. And within my first year have to get, have to take off. So I didn't want to do that. And again, remember the economy was crashing and burning. So I knew that I was going to be low man on the totem pole. I had my first baby who's now 13, but between junior and senior year. And it was perfect. I couldn't have planned it any better because I had him in June. Then I had June, July, August off. And then we went into the classroom in early September. So it was, it was really perfect. Now, then my second one, I had two and a half years later. So I had, I had gotten out, grad, you know, graduated emergency medicine. I was working for about a year before I got pregnant again. And that was great. I had just started lap of love when, when I got pregnant with her and lap of love is really great because we do obviously in-home end of life care. So majority of which is euthanasia. And it was very, very easy to actually do this work and be pregnant. It was much easier than being on my feet doing emergency emergency, like really hard, really long, tiring overnights. You know, when you're pregnant, the first trimester is like, you can fall asleep anywhere. Your body is just on overdrive. It's, and, and I'm lucky enough. I didn't, I didn't get sick. I didn't have bad pregnancies, but I think just like everyone, you know, it's just takes a toll. Yeah. <laughs> you're growing a human <laughs> growing and then your scrubs don't fit, you know, and then you're bending over and you've got this, like basketballs strapped to your stomach. So you can't, you know, so there's all these things. So, but I, I mean, I remember, and then once I had her lap of love was really starting to take at, off at that point. So I remember sitting there at two, three, four o'clock in the morning, you know, just She's sitting, sitting, you know, on me, just breastfeeding and I'm sitting there typing away, doing emails and, you know, and, and it worked. And I look back on it and like, I, I just, I don't think I would change a thing. It, it worked. That was my first marriage, which actually we were married for 10 years. And as many people go through that did not last for many different reasons. You know, and I think it's important for me to say that because a lot of us in veterinary medicine face things like that and it sucks and it's really awful. You know, again, like luckily him and I are wonderful friends now but it's, it's something that a lot of people go through and it's, it is, I wouldn't wish it on my worst night on my worst enemy. It's just awful. But my second marriage, you know, obviously we got together and got married and, um, he's just this wonderful, wonderful. He loves children so much. So now we just, we have two more it's, you know, it's, it's a balance, but like I said, you know, picking up my kids every day from school is, is imperative to me. Like that is, that is what means everything to me. And, you know, if there's, if there's anything I would change, I honestly don't think I would change anything because I remember I said a, a long time ago, I, I had a, a friend that I, I told her, I was like, Look, I want to be here with my kids when they're young so that, you know, when they're getting the middle school and high school and they don't want me around that I can, then I'll work more. And she's like, actually, it's the opposite. She goes, when they're young, they don't necessarily, you know, they need you. Of course they need you. But when they're young, they don't remember anything. And then but when they're in middle school and high school, you need to be there every day. Who are your friends with? Who are you going out with? Where, what's happening? What's on your phone? Who's texting you? You know, that type of, and so I'm lucky that that has, that that has happened in my life. And that now that my oldest is getting into, he's in middle school, he's in seventh grade. Now I'm there every single day. What's going on? Who are you talking to? Blah, 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 blah. And I get to see all that stuff. And honestly, like I did so much of them when they were young, I took them everywhere. You know, it's when my speaking schedule was just starting to really ramp up and they would go with me everywhere. And they don't remember anything. I'm like, don't you remember when we went to Seattle and we did this and we did that? And they're like, no, I don't remember that. And then not, not even that, like they don't even like going, my, my older two, they don't even like going on planes anymore. 
kidding me? They used to love it and they loved room service. We'd always get room service in hotels and they don't like, they don't, they like being places. They just don't like the traveling. I'm like, oh my God. Anyway, now I guess my, my point is, you know, they don't remember what's what's happening in, in, when they were young. So I'm really lucky and I'm glad that I busted my butt like for hours. I remember I would, I would pull one all nighter a week at the beginning, probably for the first two three years of lap of love, I pulled at least one all nighter a week. And that's what I gave up in order to be there, you know, with them, just present with them. And I, I busted my butt, but now, you know, now that the company is where it is now, now I see the, the, you know, the fruits of that labor, if you will. We'll be right back with more vet candy. Hi, this is Shay, and I want to tell you about my new show on Pet Candy, Cooking with Shay. I make vegan eating easy and fun. Check it out on Pet Candy TV. Exactly. Yeah, you got to sacrifice a little bit to make other things shine. So not a lot. You sacrifice a lot. You know, you sacrifice time, relationships. You, like, you sacrifice a lot. Live the way that you feel is where your heart's calling you. And what is something that you would tell younger Danny McVetty, maybe, maybe pre-vet school, maybe in vet school, like what, what's the piece of advice that you would give to her back then? You know, for, for me, obviously like looking back on it, you know, I would, I would tell myself that it's, it's all going to work out when you're in vet school, you just never know what your career is going to be. Cause I think a lot of us work so hard to get to vet school that looking past vet school is, is it's a difficult thing to imagine always a little bit worried because I, I never, like I liked clinical work, but I didn't love, love, love it. And like, I knew I never wanted to be a general practitioner. I just, I just not what I wanted to do. I wanted to own a business one day. So I guess in that sense, like everything that I always wanted, even though I didn't have the words to explain it, it has manifested for me. So I would encourage anybody else to just continue to have that vision of what you want your life to be and continue to work for it you know, everything that you want is, is possible, but you have to be willing to work for it. You know, you can't say, I want to make $300,000 a year and I want to work two days a week. Yeah. You know, but like maybe, all right, if you want to like work in California somewhere as an oncologist, but you're going to have to be willing to go to school for another 10 years and residencies and all this stuff in order to make that happen. And it's, it's possible, but it's going to take a crap ton of work to get there. And I want to build a business that yada, yada, yada. It's going to take a lot of work to get there. So be willing to put forth that work and, and that effort and always keep your eye on, on where you want to go. And, you know, if, and a little bit of luck, you know, you'll be able to, to create that. But you have to keep that vision. You have to keep at it. You have to keep willing to say yes. There were so many times with Lab of Love, I could have said no. Hey, I want to join what you're doing and do what you do. Ah, sorry, I'm just doing this in Tampa. You know, I'm not willing to expand it. Like, you have to be willing to say yes and figure it out. <laughs> We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Vet Candy makes learning fun with the most fascinating people on our planet. Our entertaining continuing education programs are made for your streaming world. Fabulous, fun, and free. Available on demand anywhere and anytime. 
Don't miss out. Subscribe today on iTunes, YouTube, or a platform of your choice. Or visit MyVetCandy.com for more information. Well, Dr. Danny McBetty, I really loved our talk today and you talking about, you know, all the communication struggles and, you know, how you manage to balance everything and really focusing on priorities and really making sure you know what's important to you and, and how to build your life based on, you know, what, whatever that means to you. So thank you for coming on the show today. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Shannon. I, and I wish you the best of luck too. And that's cool. Thank you so much. I know I see the light at the end of the tunnel and it is both thrilling and terrifying. I get it. I get it. (laughs) And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in today. I am so excited to have brought another amazing veterinarian to you guys. So until next time, this is Vet Candy IRL and I'm Shannon Gregoire. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. It's Vet Candy Radio.